Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Grace. Welcome to worship. Let me begin today by giving a big shout out to all the fathers out there. Happy Father's Day to all of you. My hope is that you not only have a wonderful Father's Day, but that you receive and feel a great deal of love, respect, and appreciation on this, your very special day. Elijah, oh, what a story. Elijah came to a broom tree. He sat down under it and prayed for his life to end. Can you believe it? I pick the story up today from God's word, 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 4. He himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Can you believe a prophet of God would be acting like this? I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. (laughs) Wow, if you know anything about Elijah's story, you're probably shocked by this declaration he's making. I mean, Elijah and God are tight, let me tell you. Just three and a half years before this, he had warned King Ahab that because of the nation's sin, God was going to send an extended drought on the land. And you know what? It happened precisely as he predicted. God also used Elijah to perform powerful miracles, even even raising a young boy from the dead. And what's more, still fresh on everyone's mind, I mean, it's like, how could you possibly forget it, is the showdown on Mount Carmel between Elijah and 450 prophets of Baal. I mean, it was headline news. It's the kind of stuff that would make an award-winning blockbuster sort of movie as God came through dramatically and answered Elijah's prayers. Now, here's the point. Here's the point. If anybody is hearing from God and sort of breathing heavenly oxygen, let me tell you, it's Elijah. So how? How can he come to the point of wanting God to take his life? I want to talk to you right now about the reality of Elijah's depression. How did he get so low he wished he would die? I think one good reason is that Jezebel was scheming to kill him. And he was exasperated by some of the circumstances in his life. I read here from chapter 19 of 1 Kings, starting in verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Jezebel literally put a contract out on Elijah's life. I think that'll depress you a little bit, don't you think? Elijah must have thought, you know, I've preached, 
I've worked toward moral and political reform and transformation in my country, but nothing is truly changing. Jezebel's still in control. False prophets are still being listened to more than the true ones. All my work seems to have produced no lasting results. And I believe that sense of futility, you know, that that feeling that nothing I do really matters or makes a difference, I think it's one of the leading causes of depression. I try to be a good mom, grandmother, but then my daughter-in-law goes and makes another boneheaded, insensitive move, and I feel dissed, I feel insulted, I feel deeply hurt all over again. Or I try to get ahead financially. I try to live within my budget. And then my car breaks down and I'm right back into a financial mess. I try to lead my family well, but then one of my beloved family members makes a poor moral decision and everyone is stressed out and wondering where all of this is going. Or perhaps you say, I try to represent Jesus well and let my life be my ministry, but frankly, I wonder if anyone even notices. To be honest, sometimes it feels like all my prayers and all my efforts to serve God are in vain. See, I'm convinced that Elijah is feeling some of that futility. He had this dramatic victory over the prophets of Baal, but frankly, Jezebel is still running the country, and it looks like nothing is going to change. Psychologists are in almost unanimous agreement that the number one cause of depression is repressed anger. People are upset with circumstances or family and friends or or even with God. And then they internalize all of that and it comes out later as depression. There's an old adage that goes, an impression without an appropriate expression leads to depression. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Now, let's be clear. To describe all the possible sources of depression or even just Elijah's depression in this story today is far beyond the scope of one sermon. But if Elijah's story teaches us anything, it ought to remind us that very godly, Intelligent, wonderful people still have the well go dry on their joy. Do you know who made the following statement? Here it is. Here's the statement. I am now the most miserable man alive. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or do better. Who made that statement? Abraham Lincoln said that the one many consider our greatest president. Some of the world's greatest leaders were prone to depression. I'm holding here a book called Wingspread by A.W. Tozer. Great little book, highly recommend it. And he wrote in this book, he said, it is characteristic of the God intoxicated, the dreamers and mystics of the kingdom that their flight range is greater than that of other men. Their ability to sweep upward to unbelievable heights of spiritual transport 
is equaled only by their sad power to descend, to sit in day's dejection by the river Kibar or to startle the night watches with their lonely grief. A long list of names could be appended here to support this statement. And it would be a noble and saintly list indeed, for Moses' name would be there, and Thomas Upham's, and Brother Lawrence's, and St. Francis, and Madame Guillaume's, and a host of others. It might well read like a little who's who in the kingdom of God. If the whole truth were told of the gloom of the great, which overtakes them sometimes on their journey to the city of God. Tozer, by the way, describes the experience of A.B. Simpson. Simpson was the highly revered founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance movement. And Simpson had staggeringly impressive accomplishments in his lifetime, but he hit a season of depression that rocked him. Tozer describes it like this. Along with brain weariness and weakness of nerves and and body came a heavy visitation of gloom, totally depressing all his powers and plunging him into a slough of despond so deep that further work was impossible. He secured a leave of absence from his church and left for the health resort at Saratoga Springs to try to recruit his wasted powers. I wandered about, he later wrote in describing his experience, I wandered about deeply depressed. All things in life look dark and withered. So let's look this reality squarely in the face today. Even the most godly, intelligent, and spirit-led people the men and women who love God so deeply can struggle at times with depression. But the good news is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, are you hearing me? The gospel of Jesus Christ can help you respond wisely even when the well goes dry on your joy. So let's pivot now. Let's pivot a bit right now. We've looked at the reality of Elijah's depression. I want us to see now God's remedy for Elijah's depression. You know, the Bible says that God comforts us in all our troubles. I love that statement from 2 Corinthians 1. But how does he do that? I see three things God did for Elijah that he is likely to do for you and for me as well whenever the well goes dry on our joy. And I'm convinced that some of you really, really need to hear this word from God today because You're in a season where you're struggling with depression. You're in a season where it seems like your joy has kind of gone away. The well has gone dry on your joy. Here's a remedy that God brought to Elijah and he may just want to bring to you. First, God brought Elijah some personal comfort. Now, this comfort I speak of came in two forms. First, God gave him physical nourishment and rest. Physical nourishment and rest. I'm reading now, starting in verse five. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, 
an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Now think of that. Remedy number one, God says, rest and eat, rest and eat. Can you believe that? That may not sound real spiritual to some of you, but it really is. Many of you listening right now are A-type personalities. You know who you are. And you really need to get this part of the message. Elijah was frankly exhausted. He'd just run 18 miles ahead of the chariot of Ahab. He was physically, emotionally, mentally beaten down, and he was stressed out. And God said, man, you need to rest. I think Scripture prescribes a wonderful balance between work and rest. I love Colossians 3.23. It's one of those great verses we all ought to memorize, I think. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. But sometimes we take that prescription for work, and the Bible holds work in a very high and noble place, we take that and we drive ourselves to unhealthy extremes. Some of you do, don't even rest on vacation, for goodness sakes. You come home exhausted from vacation. You're away, but you're not really away. You're constantly checking in, still allowing the pressure of work to drive your emotions and your thinking. Or if it's not work you're enamored with, Perhaps you wake up every morning wanting to cram in as much frenetic activity, as much fun, as much moving around and going here and there as you possibly can into every single day. And you churn and churn and churn inside and come back home exhausted, needing more than anything, a vacation from your vacation. (laughs) Listen. One of the most godly things you can do is learn to truly relax and replenish. God's old covenant people were told one day out of seven is to be set apart as holy. It's a Sabbath of rest. And then God prescribed weeks, weeks of festivals for them scattered throughout the year when they just had a change of pace from their normal routine. Every seventh year was a sabbatical year. Imagine that, where the whole year was supposed to be devoted to the joy of recreation. God wants balance in our lives, dear friends. Jesus modeled this beautifully, don't you think? When you read the Gospels, you see that his ministry lasted only about three and a half years, but he knew how to rest. He began his ministry with a 40-day retreat in the wilderness. The Gospels make clear that he practiced the disciplines of silence, solitude, and prayer as he often got away to lonely places and prayed. The only way that anyone, listen now, the only way that any of us can survive in a job over the long haul, the only way I can survive over the long haul as a pastor. The only way you can survive, whatever you do over a number of years, hear me now, is to learn to rest 
well. <laughs> I read that if a pastor is good, if a pastor's really good, he deserves a long vacation. But if he's not good, the congregation deserves it. <laughs> and that's probably true. So here's my question. Are you getting enough sleep these days? I'm serious. Are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting enough downtime to stay healthy? It's hard for your emotional tank to be full if your physical tank is empty because of exhaustion. So here's the principle. God gave him physical nourishment and rest. We read that. But second, a part of that personal comfort he received was that God gave him insightful spiritual experience. Now watch this now closely. God allowed Elijah to experience something of his divine power at work. I'm going to read on down here now in verse 11. Let's look at verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Wow, what a moment, huh? Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Imagine this. Elijah is standing there, and suddenly this great wind shook the mountainside. The Bible says God wasn't in that wind. Then the earth trembled with a mighty earthquake, and it says, but God was not in the earthquake either. We read on in verse 12. It says, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. God wasn't in the fire. Interesting. Interesting, don't you think? Because just a short time before this, during that showdown on Mount Carmel I mentioned earlier, God had revealed himself. Remember how? Yeah, with fire. So I find it delightfully refreshing that God refuses to become too predictable. Isn't that a great thought? God just will not become too predictable. If he did, we'd try to put him in a box, and we should never do that with God. I read on in verse 12. It says, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah knew that this, yes, this was really God. Here's what I see happening. In this spiritual experience, Elijah, listen, is beginning to take his eyes off of himself and off of his own problems, and he's beginning to focus now on the awesome faithfulness and power and character of God. That's huge. That's huge. Please listen. See, we tend to think the way to fill our joy well, if you will, back up, is to take a deep dive into analyzing what got us here. Now, let me channel the message from Acts from a couple of weeks ago. 
A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this straight out of the book of Acts. There is a time to look in the rearview mirror. That can really help with perspective. It really can. But, 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 the way to get your empty joy well filled back up is to get your eyes on the road ahead where God already is waiting with awesome plans for you. Focus on his character and his purposes for you. And I'm quite confident your joy well will start filling up again. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 42. He, he makes the same declaration again in Psalm 43. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. When you put your hope in God and receive his comfort, you may not leap out of bed every morning problem-free. I'm not promising that, nor does God. But you can climb out of bed every morning knowing, hear this, knowing with supreme confidence, God has this. Nothing's gonna come to you today that you, by God's empowering presence, cannot navigate with grace. So, God gave Elijah comfort for his stressed out and exhausted life. And many of us could really use that in this season. Second, second, God gave Elijah a fresh, challenging commission. Wow, I really, really like this part now. I'm reading from verse 13. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one now left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. I like that. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. In other words, Elijah, listen up. I got a job for you to do, Elijah. You've had enough comfort for now and more comfort will come in the future. But at this point, right now, I have a new commission for you. I want you to go and anoint some kings, new kings. And I, I want you to start a new school, by the way, for prophets. And also, you're not all alone, buddy. You think you are? You're not. There are 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Now notice, the first part of the remedy was comfort. Remember that? Remember that? Comfort for Elijah. But the second part is challenge. Think about that for a moment. In our lives, we need both comfort and challenge if our joy well is gonna be full. And if you, if you err on the side of comfort, you can become a couch potato and waste your life away. And if you err on the side of challenge, you can become a burned out, empty shell of a believer, just like Elijah had become. Hey, question. I wonder where are those scales tipping for you right now? How would you answer that? Could you use a little more challenge in your life? 
or a little more comfort. My, my guess, my guess is that many, if not most, of the people listening to me right now could use a bit more kingdom challenge in your life. Did you know that Florence Nightingale, the famous English nurse, took to the bed when she was 56 years old because she was convinced, absolutely convinced, she was gonna die soon of heart disease. And from that point on, from 56 years of age, she was terminally ill in her mind, in her mind. She lived to be 90. Think about that, 34 years of somewhat of a pity party. She needed a new challenge. Now, contrast that true story with the true story of Caleb in the Old Testament. He's 85, the dude's 85 years old when the children of Israel marched into the land of Canaan and Caleb said, hey, I know I'm 85, but I'm just as energetic as I've ever been. I'd like to have the challenge of taking that hill country over there, that mountainous region, I want that. I know there are giants there. I know their cities are well fortified, but I can do it. And Joshua gave him the green light. And by God's grace, by God's grace, he took the mountain. Some of you, some of you may need a new challenge, a new commission in your life. Hey, may I suggest one? <laughs> I urge you to consider hosting a small group in your backyard perhaps on your deck, your patio, for the heart of our summer season. We're going to be hearing a lot more about this in the coming days, so keep your ears open. It's one of the best kingdom investments you could make during this coronavirus pandemic. There'll be opportunities to serve, opportunities to teach, to invest in people's lives, to make a difference in the lives of people, and it's Time limited, get that part. It will start officially the weekend after 4th of July, and it will end officially the last weekend in August. Eight weeks in a row, and we'll be providing discussion questions and many other resources you need to make that work well and be a big success. Again, keep your eyes and ears open as we share more about that in the coming days. Elijah got his joy back by getting his focus on a new challenge from God. And third, and finally, God gave Elijah an encouraging colleague. You see, it was at this very moment, as you read this story, at this very moment, God introduced Elijah to a young man named Elisha. Their names are very similar, but a bit different. Elisha was to become his disciple and understudy in the school of ministry. I read on now in verse 16. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, there's his name, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Now, these two made a great team. Elisha loved his mentor and was faithful to him until the day Elijah was taken from the earth. And Elijah helped make Elisha a better prophet. In other words, they added value 
to each other's lives. One of the best ways to meet people as well as deepen your friendships is to be in a small group together, serving side by side, learning together. One of the foundation stones of our covenant membership at Grace is we commit to building meaningful relationships that will lead to spiritual growth. Let me ask you, do you have that in your life? Do you have people who make you better? Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man or pity the woman who falls down and has no one to help him up. If the well has gone dry on your joy, don't be satisfied to be alone. Find someone you can reach out to as a new friend to strengthen your walk with Christ. We need people like that. Robert Tuttle, a doctor in Milwaukee, tells about an accident he had when he was nine years old and in the third grade. Never happened to him before, but he said, I wet my pants in the school classroom and I was just humiliated. There at my feet was a puddle and my trousers were wet and my heart was pounding. I knew when I was found out I was gonna be the object of ridicule and I would be completely humiliated. And he said, I just prayed to God, God, this is an emergency. Do something, God, do something. And he said, the teacher got out of her seat at her desk and started his way. And he thought, this is the point of no return. But before she got very close, little Susie, fellow classmate, little Susie was carrying a goldfish bowl down the aisle and she stumbled and spilled all the goldfish bowl water right in my lap. And he said, <laughs> I tried to appear angry and shocked, but inside I was saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Can't you just see this? Thank you, Jesus. And he said, suddenly, instead of being the victim of ridicule, I was the object of sympathy. And everybody said, oh, poor Robert. And everybody was ridiculing little Susie. And the ridicule that should have been mine was transferred to her. And the teacher said, well, we've got to get you down to the gym to get you some gym shorts. And when we came back up, the kids were wiping up the water and making fun of Susie. And the longer the day went, the more they felt sorry for me and the more they ridiculed her. But he said, at the end of the day, at the bus stop, little Susie was standing by herself and I suddenly, I suddenly caught on. And I went over to her and I said, you did it on purpose, didn't you? She said, I wet my pants once too. You know, friends, it's one of the most amazing paradoxes of life. If you go to someone who needs encouraging and you begin to minister to them, it helps lift and encourage you in the process. Elijah found renewed joy in the comfort of God, in the challenge God gave, and in the new colleague God brought into his life.
may we do the same. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the powerful example of Elijah the prophet. The well had gone dry on his joy, and the same thing happens to us. And just as he found renewed strength in you, renewed comfort and and challenge, and a brand new colleague to come alongside, I pray that today, for those who are finding themselves a bit depressed, or maybe even deeply dejected, for whatever the reasons, whatever the sources of that, I pray, oh God, that you would bring the perfect remedy, bring them the comfort, the challenge, the new colleague, the new friendships in their life that they need to make all the difference. Oh, how we love you, Father. Thank you that you always know what we need and you know just when we need it. We praise you for that. And it's in Jesus' name that we give you thanks. Amen.